right, is this thing on? <laughs> I think it is. <laughs> it is. Here we go. Yeah, welcome to welcome to the podcast known as Acquisitions Anonymous. We're very excited to be here. I'm your one of your co-hosts, Michael Gridley. Bill, as always, is with me today. Uh, Delisandro. By the way, one of our listeners uh, DM'd me and was like, uh, "You need to list everybody's last name." I was like, why is that important? <laughs> how am I going to put Bill in Twitter and figure out who this is? Good <laughs> at, luck spelling my last name. At Bill D A and. Uh, <laughs> So, and then unfortunately, Mills had a personal issue who's, who's our, our third co-host and hero of the podcast, and he, he couldn't make it today. But we do have an amazing last-minute stand-in guest in the form of Hayden Cohen. And uh, Hayden, you want to take a minute and kind of introduce yourself and what you do today and why I made you come on this podcast? Yeah, for sure. I'm Hayden. I've been working with Michael for, for six months on a project we're calling Effectual Ventures. Uh, so I've been helping out with the Toro Coffee project that he's posting about on Twitter and some of his other personal stuff. And then we're working on starting some businesses together. So he asked me to be on, bring the beginner's mindset to the podcast. Glad to be here. Glad to ask some hopefully not dumb questions. I think there is, as Bill said, when we were doing prep, there are no dumb questions and we're excited that you're here. And uh, and now, now I'll be up late tonight trying to figure out if you're doing this because you feel like I made you or you you really wanted to. So hopefully, hopefully you really wanted to. You could you could always you can always say no to me. So cool. Well, we have two deals today. Um, they are both listener submitted. So which one do you guys want to start with first, grandstands or the CPA firm? Let's start with grandstands. This one's unique. All right, so Grandstands. So Grandstands is a uh, a business that is located in Pittsburgh. Uh, this was sent to us by a listener. It is basically a company that designs and installs uh, as a contractor those grandstands that you see inside of you know sporting events or anything like that. So uh, from a size uh, standpoint, they do five million in revenue. Uh, we just have a teaser. Their free cash flow is a little bit over a million, so five million in revenue, and they generate about a million in cash a year. Uh, and EBITDA it matches cash flow, so about a million. So five million top line revenue, a million in terms of profit. So company is about fifteen years old now. They are a highly reputable designer, specialty contractor, and installer of grandstands for high schools, universities, and minor league sports. Additionally, the company has general construction capabilities in this very profitable niche market and is expanding into broader construction roles going forward. They are an authorized retailer for a brand called GT, so Golf Tango Grandstands products, and they are able to procure leading products to better serve its customer base. Um, I'm reading from the, um, the teaser here, so... Um, strengths of the company are superior industry reputation, strong customer and supplier relationships, exclusive brands, regional name recognition, comprehensive industry expertise, and a solid management team. And the broker shockingly believes that it is well positioned for continued growth. Some of the things the broker likes about the business, zero employee turnover in 15 years, which is worrisome. <laughs> Makes me wonder if they have a low, low standard of employees. Uh, it's a stable, long-standing business, um, very well known. Uh, management is willing to stick around and help foster transition, though it sounds like they want to move on at some point. More on reputation, more on relationships. Uh, they also have existing customer bases in terms of athletic complexes and stuff like that. Let's see what else is here. And then the broker thinks that, of course, the thing can grow very rapidly after acquisition to increase revenue and profit, including leveraging the company's proven reputation to pursue and penetrate new and existing markets. 
And then uh, growing in terms of EBITDA growth rate has uh, compounded 56% in three years. So this is a business that's getting bigger and the broker likes that it is a capital light business. So the need for capital expenditures is minimal going forward. It looks like you know the manufacturer makes these things, they're an exclusive dealer of them, uh, and then they install them using their staff and their designers and going on from there. Uh, 16 people and the owner wants out because he is uh, he or she is 70 plus years old. And that's what we know about this one. So what do you guys think? Let's start with Hayden. I don't want to, I don't want to poison the well here. Hayden, what jumps out at you? The first thing that I think about with this business is how often are people installing grandstands? And then in terms of their, their revenue build, how much of it is services based just on a project basis and, and, and where are they making recur, recurring or reoccurring revenue? I can't really think of uh, tons of things beyond continual service of the bleachers that they're installing. Well, it, one thing that occurs to me and having sat in bleachers before, especially fiberglass ones, is they have to be renovated on a regular basis. These things are getting beaten down in the sun. You have very chubby Americans sitting on them. You know, they're not lasting forever. So I think this is this is most likely a reoccurring business where you're having every five years, you know, being able to bid on the, on the replacement of these things, um, but definitely not a recurring business. Now, I do wonder if there's some sort of maintenance or anything like that that's part of it, but given modern constructions day, I would be surprised. I also wonder about kind of service radius, like how many bleacher installations are there kind of per capita? You know, I would think one of the ways you got to get bigger is you just got to be willing to drive farther and farther. Mm -hmm. And I also wonder if maybe GT grandstands, maybe you have a territory, maybe you can't go outside the territory. You know, maybe they got other distributors in Philly or in, you know, in Ohio or wherever. So I wonder if like this kind of, I wonder if this just is what it is, you know, like you do all the grandstands in the Pittsburgh area and it's like a really nice, you know, you're the go-to guy. Every GT installed grandstand is Pittsburgh is you're maintaining it. You're replacing it once every 20 years when they build a new stadium, you're the clear choice, you know, and it's kind of a nice gig. So GT grandstands is actually in, um, they're out of Florida, decidedly not that interesting of a website. And I didn't really understand this until I looked at their website. They don't they don't only do the seats and the stuff above. I guess this photo that we saw here in the teaser is these chairs and the grandstands actually just put into concrete. The other thing they do is, you know, the kind of the metal, like if you're erecting grandstands from the ground surface, they do that as well. So oh, like the high school football's kind of field, like exactly. or high school soccer field kind of where they just set them on the grass next to the field. Exactly. So the I-beams and all the angle frames and all that kind of stuff are part of it. And then those, those things above it. So here they have a picture of one that's 16 rows, two double stair towers, and a 216 feet size grandstand for $1,975. Given how expensive it looks like these projects are, like just looking at some of these example grandstands, like that looks like a $2 million grandstand. <laughs> like oh, I, yeah. wonder, I wonder how many, pri like now that I look at this, I'm like, wait a second, this is a pretty small contractor. If they're only doing 5 million in revenue. Yeah. Like, two projects a year tops. Yeah. Like with 16 people, like that, that, that has me worried. So I would definitely look into this one in terms of how many customers and jobs they're really doing. Because if you have two jobs a year and you lose one of them, that's pretty, pretty nasty with your, for your bottom line. Mm -hmm. The other thing that kind of made me pause reading this teaser, as you said, EBITDA has compounded, what, 57% over the past three years, mm -hmm. which means, I mean, that's significant EBITDA growth. And he's owned this company for 15 years. 
So I immediately want to go, what changed in the last three years that it started growing so much? You know, are you lipsticking this up for sale? Or did something fundamental change in the market? And then that's good for me, the buyer. You know, I'm not saying it's negative. I'm just saying that's something I would immediately want to understand is clearly there's an inflection point. And in this case, the inflection point is probably going to be a year or two earlier than the trailing financials that they give you. Because typically you're going to get, you know, two or three years back. And it sounds to me like something happened probably three to five years back. uh, And I'd be asking about that. Uh, It's also interesting on the GT website, which I pulled up, given they're, you know, a dealer for these guys. GT doesn't does two things very interesting on their website. One, they don't talk about how they have any dealers whatsoever. And two, GT on their website tries to sell you bleacher installation project management. Like, like GT, GT is on their website competing with you as a dealer. Well, like, they could be selling the lead. I hope so. Yeah. So hopefully that that that's what they're doing. They're kind of this business that we would be buying kind of has no customer facing, and maybe all the leads come from GT and they get farmed out to us. Yeah. That would be the charitable interpretation. (laughs) All right. So Hayden, you ready to be in the grandstand installation business in Pittsburgh? Not yet. Not yet. I'm I'm definitely concerned about the uh, customer concentration like you brought up earlier. Um, Thinking that I'd really want to understand, you know, what what the customer profile looks like and how often they're doing this, doing Mm. installations. It feels like it's got to be pretty tough. Yeah. I mean, you definitely could have some of the feast or famine situation of contracting, right? Because your, pro- your project base in terms of how your revenue comes in, how do you not have a down year, right? And I have friends that own specialty contractors like this. And some years it's total feast and some years they're like, hey, I need a loan. Uh, and it's rough. Yeah. Interesting. So that's a fun one. Turns out you can make bu- you can make a buck in America a lot of different ways. So that's my favorite part. Is like, isn't that cool? Like looking at these deals, you're like, it's a business that makes a million dollars a year just in Pittsburgh. And they put in high school grandstands. (laughs) That's a job that this guy's 70 years old. You know, that's his, that's his business. I think that's so cool. I love to see these things. Yeah. Well, and then he also gets the privilege of making sure 16 people get their paycheck every two weeks. (laughs) Congratulations to him. He's a job creator, 16 jobs in Pittsburgh. So if you had to kind of guesstimate where something like this might trade before you dig into it, what, what y'all's gut feel? I would actually guess lower than you would think. There may be some some kind of committed pipeline. You know, I bet this stuff doesn't just come out of the woodwork and you install it the next month. Mm-hmm. So I bet it would trade for kind of the value of the pipeline plus a little bit, unless unless there is some sort of you just can't get this GT grandstands license uh, from anybody. Like unless there's like real value in that and it will transfer. And by the way, I would also this is almost like buying a franchise you would need to be really sure that the GT Grand Scans license was going to transfer uh, as part of the acquisition. Mm. If that is a stronger moat than I think it might be, then this might trade for a little bit more. But I would guess kind of 2x is probably where we come out. Yep. What do you guys think? Hayden, what do you think? Yeah, my initial thought was around maybe the 3x EBITDA uh, multiple. You know, I'm looking at the portfolio on their website, and if you think that they... They're getting revenue uh, consistently every year through through maintenance or or renovations of their existing portfolio. And there's some some consistency in cash that they generate. And they're probably developing new projects. You can think that you know it's a sustainable business, and but definitely want to understand how their EBITDA grew so much over the past few years before kind of committing to that valuation. Yep, uh, it's interesting if you type into Google GT Grandstands for sale in Pittsburgh. 
I don't know if these this company even has a website. Yeah, I think they might just be back end for GT. I think GT is just selling sending them the leads and they're doing it. Yeah. All sounds good. Oh man, this is from our buddy uh, Faraz Ali at Buy Biz Sell. <laughs> he's, like uh, group, yes. he's like my favorite broker because he's just got like the funniest personal photo. <laughs> Look at yeah. me. Look at me. I'm wearing a tie, but I didn't button the top button for my Careful, photo. He's probably listening. No, he's he's awesome. He's Hi, cool. Faraz. We do like you. Your your uh, sims are great. Yeah, you write good sims because I just get to read them on the air and don't have to do any work. It's fantastic. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I was going to guess, just like you said, I really want to dig in to understand how predictable is future revenue. And that would cause me to be anywhere from kind of one to three times, you know, the SDE, seller's discretionary earnings. So mm-hmm. pretty fun. All right, we'll move on to the next one. Let's, I think we kind of don't hate this one. So Don't hate it. For the right buyer, again, like if you want to live in this area and you want to, you're probably not going to 10X this business. But if that's okay with you, rock and roll. I'll tell you, it's a better business than being like a, residential small-time home contractor. <laughs> I'd rather do this any day of the week. Mm-hmm. Okay, uh, so moving on to number two, we have a, another listener-submitted deal. And this is from a self-funded searcher. I will kind of go through, and this got submitted to us over a month ago. So we have, or not over a month ago, over about two weeks ago, and we've gotten some updates as it's gone along. So if this kind of sounds like a little story, it's because there is a little story. So I got a DM from this guy. He'll remain anonymous. He's a self-funded searcher. So a guy out looking to buy a business using his own money and uh, asked him to send me the teaser and kind of information he has. And he said he didn't have a teaser because he found this deal through cold outreach. And he said, but if I was a broker, it would read, this deal is an accounting and bookkeeping firm that has grown steadily since 2017 with key employees in place, recurring revenue, and a 20% net profit margin. The owners are ready to retire and have not been involved in billable work for the last 18 months. So it's an accounting and bookkeeping firm. High-level details. In 2020, they did 780 k in revenue, so $780,000, and seller's discretionary earnings was around 156000 They do all of their um, work from bookkeeping and accounting. They do not do tax or audit. So they are not a full-service CPA firm. They have stable clients and a solid team in place. The searcher said that he started his offer at 950K with 10% down, 15% owner finance, and a 75% SBA loan. And then he uh, gave us the 2020 P&L. So I'll pause there before we kind of dig into the P&L. Like the deal structure little SBA. So SBA loans are small business administration loans. They are personally guaranteed. So he has to uh, put some of his own money down and uh, he's got to borrow the rest and pay it off over time. So one thing that I think that's interesting. So again, he's going to 75% debt from the SBA, 15% owner finance and 10% down. What folks that haven't done SBA loans might not always know is that sometimes if you're, if you need to count the owner financing as equity, you need it needs to be on what's called full standby for 10 years. So that you can't even get any payments. It just has to be like mezzanine, pick only, accruing debt, full standby for 10 years, which is the which is the term of your SBA loan. So if you can get your seller to do that, which I have only seen happen, I think, once, because that is some very unattractive debt if you are the lender, uh, if you're the seller. But if you can get your seller to do that, they will the SBA will count that as equity. Hmm. So in this case, I don't think. Uh, he had to do it because he's got his 10% down. But in some cases, you can actually put down almost nothing if you can get the seller to agree to that really aggressive seller. So just a 
uh, interesting wrinkle in the SBA process. Very cool. You said you love the deal structure. You know, I, I looked at that and immediately thought that the 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 original purchase offer was was really high. I think it was nine hundred fifty. What do you look at there that 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 makes you think you know that's that's a good deal structure, good deal? So awesome. I like structure. I didn't say anything about the price. Fair. Uh, <laughs> I, I mean, I like that he's he's only having to put in 10% equity. The seller is willing to, to basically roll land 15%, which tells me that the seller has some confidence in the ongoing prospects of the business. And then he's able to get an SBA loan, which he's going to have to personally guarantee, but the terms are fantastic. Um, sure. So I think from that kind of structure, that I feel very good about the structure. Of course, you know, if the price is 4x too high, you know, that blows the correct structure out of the water. So we'll, I think maybe we'll talk about price when we learn a little bit more about it. Yeah, I agree with you, Hayden. <laughs> totally, I'm like, oh, this is expensive. <laughs> cool. So we also got sent a PL. So last year was seven hundred eighty thousand in total income. Payroll was four hundred thirty thousand. So this is a services firm. So all in in terms of cost of goods sold. So what it costs to cost them to deliver the services was five hundred eleven thousand. And then they had a bunch of GNA stuff on top of that, which was another one hundred seventeen thousand. Their net ordinary income from the business um, before other expenses, which we'll dig into here in a minute because this is where it gets interesting, was 150000 So before kind of oddball stuff, they just high level, they did 780000 in, in gross income for the year, cost them 511000 in variable costs to do that. So computers, internet, salaries, payroll taxes, all that kind of stuff. Then they had a bunch of other GNA stuff. So that was 117,000, which means after the 780,000 revenue came in, they had net ordinary income of 150,000. Then below that, they have a bunch of other rando stuff, which starts to get me really worried. So they have, for this CPA firm, they have $11,000 in farming wages and materials, feed and seed. This is a CPA firm. This is stuff I expect to see in a cattle farm. <laughs> Weird penalties, meals, travel, utilities, interest expenses, automobile expenses, life insurance. I'm guessing maybe these are they're trying to add this stuff back in. Yeah, I think they're trying to bridge to like an SDE number here. Yeah. And then they they add all those new expenses in and then they put in 112000 in PPP loan forgiveness. So after these rando expenses come in, then the PPP loan comes back out. And they ended up with 155000 in net income uh, after all that said and done on the official P&L. Which, what, the other thing that's wacky about this is for being a bookkeeping firm, these are not the best financials I've ever seen. <laughs> There's some random, like, like, do you guys, could you guys put a little bit more detail in this so we can understand it? No, no, we're, we're a bookkeeping firm. We don't do books. Yeah. I don't know about this one. It's, it's also a super competitive space. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's it's semi-sticky. Like, you don't want to leave your bookkeeper. But I have you ever met anyone that's super happy with their bookkeeper either? Uh, you know, I feel like everybody's like kind of, you know, one eye open looking to see if maybe there's actually a bookkeeper that's great, you know, they could switch to. Uh, and everybody eventually ends up getting big enough to hire accounting full-time in-house and then they're happy. So I would just worry about yeah, and there's no contracts. Like you don't sign like a you know year deal with your with your bookkeeper. So I'm just a little would be a little worried about this industry broadly. Yeah. Well, let me. We have one more submission. So the 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 searcher gave us his analysis of the deal, which which put some color in. So let me share that. So 
you know, this business in theory did 155,000 in net income. He thinks the strengths of the deal are healthy recurring revenue. So you have these clients that are pretty sticky and stay with you, uh, despite being somewhat unhappy to your point, Bill. Um, they have senior team members in place. They're already virtual. Remember, they had $70,000, I think, in rent last year. Potentially, they could get rid of that. He thinks there's an opportunity to upsell to fractional CFO and consulting services. The searcher himself is not an accountant, but is somebody who thinks that he has strong B2B services, sales, and marketing chops, so he can go and sell the stuff better than the sellers could. Uh, they are getting good rates, $85 to $125 an hour in terms of what they're billing. And then he thinks that they can be a good referral source from CPAs just because they're bookkeepers. And there's no offshoring. So he thinks that if he goes offshore, it could really improve margins. Uh, risks of the deal, Searcher is not an accountant by trade. Searcher does not live in the same city as the of the office. It's a family business. So there could be employee churn post-acquisition. Not a lot of cushion for debt service if the business declines. And he also noted that there are a number of uh, highly funded startups, Pilot, Zendu, others in this space trying to tackle small business accounting and bookkeeping. I can tell you, we used Zendu for a while. Hayden's got an expertise in that. It's not, not so great. But it, yeah, I mean, it's probably not significantly different from other bookkeeping services. Uh, question, it says on the risk here, Searcher is not an accountant by trade and Searcher is not living in the same city as the office. Is our listener here investing in a search fund deal here or is he the searcher himself? He is the searcher. That's what I Okay, understood. so he's just talking about himself in the third Yeah, he's going, to re- he's going to search this and run it. Okay. So he's about to become an accountant. He may not know bookkeeping, but he sure shit will soon. (laughs) Yep. Which is fine. I mean, I don't don't think it's crazy to buy a business, you know, as a searcher that you're not super well-versed in, Mm -hmm. uh, as long as you are committed to getting well-versed. You know, buying a business in an industry that you hate and want nothing to do with, that's probably a problem. Yeah. Uh, On those risks, number three and number five, it being a family business with concerns about churn after acquisition and competition with with startups that are just going to grow and spend more and more on marketing really concern me with this one. I think they outweigh a lot of, a lot of the pros that they're mentioning. And I would, I would not be so worried about it if there wasn't a big trend happening where more and more of this kind of bookkeeping is turning into like a mullet business where you have a team of Filipinos doing all the back end work. And then you have one guy in the U S who's the face of the whole thing. And like, Either this business is going to have to go there or that's the future. I love that phrase. That phrase is hilarious. A mullet business. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's business in the front, party in the back, baby. <laughs> yeah. This is, yeah. Uh, so much software debt has gone that way. Yeah. So much. Yeah. So, I mean, that's, that, that's the other... I'm glad he already sees that because that's where this has to go. I mean, unfortunately, um, kind of lives up to the, the thematic idea that if you're... If your job is, you know, standardizable and can be done over the internet, like start thinking about career 2.0 in the United States or be willing to work for less, it's it's coming. I would also ask questions about exit strategy on this one. Hmm. You know, it this is a professional services business at the end of the day, and sometimes they can be hard to sell. So I would, on the way in, want to feel pretty good about the fact that there's a market to sell this thing in five to 10 years, or that I actually want to be in the, in the accounting outsourcing business for the next 30 to 40 years. And am I comfortable with what the industry is going to look like in 30 to 40 years? Can I even predict that, uh, et cetera. So I would be thinking about exit on the way into this one. Yeah. Well, it strikes me 
that he is valuing this business at a price which looks to be about six times NOI, six times EBITDA. Mm-hmm. He is valuing it. Is my math right there? He's paying paying nine fifty, and it it does one hundred fifty in in profit, right? Yeah, unless there's some major addbacks, we're not seeing. Yeah, and that's with the PPP loan uh, forgiveness baked in as well. Yeah. So. So he's pricing it like it's something that's going to be an indefinite, semi-permanent revenue stream when, well, I'm not so sure, right? That, that's really where digging into how sticky are these customers and how likely are they to stick around and how likely are your margins to stay there. That's, that's the bet he's making here with the amount of time that, uh, I mean, basically that's the, that's the time frame in which he's underwriting this deal, that kind of multiple. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, you can't like, if he wants to be an accountant, you know, or there's there's something here that we're not seeing, but I agree it seems super rich. Uh for nine fifty, like I would go why not and he's good at sales and marketing. Why not just go start one from scratch? <laughs> like like go hire a couple of bookkeepers, go go start one of these mullet versions of this. Yeah. You know, unless there's something incredibly sticky about these customers. You know, he's already figured out how to go sell himself into more, get more deals, right? You have all these CPAs willing to give you bookkeeping services. Why the hell not? Yep. Totally agree with that. Make a website, go out, get some clients, and then hire people on Upwork. Uh, totally. Totally. Well, any other thoughts? So Hayden, you're in, you're in on this one? You're going to leverage... Out <laughs> you're out on this one? Out on this one. <laughs> uh, he's, he's already committed to bleacher sales in Pittsburgh. Oh, oh yeah. So. <laughs> he's tied oh, yeah. up. You can't have him. I was committed before the show started. <laughs> All right. Well, Hayden, how can how can people stay in touch with you, follow what you're working on? You're on Twitter, right? Yeah, Michael tags me sometimes in tweets at Hayden J. Cohen. Um, I should probably start getting more active on there, but feel free to reach out. That's awesome. That's awesome. All right. Well, cool. Well, um, we wish the best to uh, Mills' stuff going on. And uh, if you're, um, you know, if you're religious or even non-religious, have him, have him in your thoughts and we're hoping things turn around for them a bit and uh, we'll catch up with everybody next week. Hayden, thanks for being here, man. You were, you were great and I uh, really appreciate it. And Bill, you're awesome as always. Thanks guys. It was fun as usual. See you later. Bye guys.